0: again here this morning. We lift up our hearts, and we look forward to the day when you will open up the gates and show the Father the children whom you have called. pray that we will all be there. And so guide us to allow you to lead us and to be our leader here all the way into that day when you do come. Guide us as we open up your scriptures to see you clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. The summer of 1707, during the war of the Spanish succession, there was a combined British- Austrian and Dutch fleet of ships at the command of Prince Eugene. It besieged and attempted to take the French port of Toulon. And during that campaign, Great Britain dispatched a fleet to provide naval support. We all know the history of the British Navy and how at certain points they were the elite in the Navy. And so this fleet went over there to provide naval support. It was led by none other than Sir Cloud C. Chauvel. And upon reaching the Mediterranean and failing to take Toulon, the British fleet then headed home. And unknown to them, they were facing something more dangerous than an army, more costly in lives than the battle that they faced that very day. They were facing white squalls and huge waves. And as they faced those things on the return trip, it says, and I quote, They faced constant squalls and gales. Such weather pushed the fleet off course, and soon they were nowhere near where they thought they needed to be. What caused them to get off course? It was due to a combination of the bad weather and the mariners' inability to accurately calculate their longitude. As a result, the fleet was unaware that it was off course, closing into some isles instead of being near Brittany. Before their mistake could be corrected, the fleet struck rocks, and not one, not two, not three, but four of the ships were lost, with 1,400 sailors it has been named one of the greatest maritime disasters in the history of the British Isles. And as I think of stories like that, and you could think of stories similar to this, where it was someone not being aware of where they were at or where they were going and the disaster that resulted because of it. I don't know about you, but when I read stories like this, I automatically think of my spiritual life and I think of the church. Here we are, a group of people, contemplating this historical event And yet the question comes, where are we headed? Do we have an accurate way of telling us where we're going? Do we have a leader who is really the one who can lead us in the right direction instead of in the wrong direction? As we use this story as an illustration, it has limitations. But I believe we need clear direction, and we need a person to lead us there, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I can think of no other source. Later on, they came up with ways of avoiding that type of disaster. New instruments were developed. But I hold in my hand an ancient instrument, one that has guided people to safe harbors and will guide us all the way to heaven if we will let it. And it has one author who's been there since the beginning of creation, one author who's been there all the way down through time, the one who formed us from the dust of the earth, the one who gave the message to Noah, the one who all the way down through time has had this plan of salvation. He comes to us with words to guide us even today. And so I want to take you back to some familiar passages we've looked at in previous sermons, book of Ephesians chapter four. I want to look at these passages again, and this is really what I call a milestone Sabbath. I, we have these every six months in churches that are trying to move forward. And so what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at a biblical concept and then see how God is using it here with us and where we're going in the future. And so Ephesians chapter four, starting at verse four. This was in our opening song, how the church has one foundation, one faith, one Lord, one birth. And so as we look in Ephesians chapter four, verse four, it says, there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. How many Lords? one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Isn't this amazing thought? There is one Lord, and guess what? We find the Father is in us all. If He's in us all, that's a question to ask. Is He in me today? Through the Holy Spirit, is God in me? If that's the case, then individually as we focus on this God, as we focus on this Jesus who has given so much for us, as we do that privately, then when we come together, we should be going in the same direction. Because it says there is one Lord, which means He is the one who rules. Does He rule our hearts today? Because this one leader who is in us should be able to guide us regardless of our backgrounds, regardless of where we are at, maybe in some theological spectrums. Regardless of what the future may hold, He should be able to lead us through it all. Continues on. Not only is there one leader in the church who is in us, but it says in verse 7, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Isn't the gift of Christ as we see it in the plan of salvation, isn't one of the greatest gifts. His life, his death, his resurrection, this beautiful plan of salvation, especially when find him dying on the cross for us. This gift of grace poured out for us sinners. Every one of us is given grace according to the measure of that gift. Whereof he said, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Commenting on this, I was reading article in the Signs of the Times, June 5, 1893. The Lord saw our fallen condition. He saw our need of grace. And because He loved our souls, He has given us grace and peace. To look into your Father's eyes and to know that He has kindness there for you. And doesn't that do something in your heart? She talks about, and I was reading this week in the book Sons and Daughters of God, that when we have looked at his grace, looked at his kindness for us, that his presence comes and brings peace to our hearts. And here, he says it's without measure. He could just pour it all out on us. We could see his kindness in so many ways. Our leader is not just one who is in us, but our leader is the one who has died for us. And so this text mentions that he has given every one of us grace and kindness. We all know that we've fallen short. We all know that without him, we would not be here today in one way or the other, either spiritually or physically. Some of us would be dead by now. Some of us spiritually would be way off yonder somewhere else. We would not be here today, but it wasn't for his kindness. Something has drawn us here to him. And Paul's pointing that out beautifully. And he goes on in verse 11, as you skim on down, he talks about how pretty much he gained the victory over Satan, like leading captives behind him at the cross and after the resurrection. And it says in verse 11, he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. In the Greek, it's ace which means into. And so these gifts are given to lead the people in a direction. Who is the leader? It's Jesus Christ. He's poured out His grace in each one of our hearts. And then He establishes leaders to point the people in the direction that they should go. But in case you're wondering if we're just supposed to look to the human leader, you keep reading this text. It says that those leaders were given to edify the body, to build up the body. When someone comes to me and says they've got new light or a new idea, I say, What does it have to do with Jesus? How does it help us as a church? If, it has, if those questions cannot be answered, then why is it new light? How do I know it's not darkness, garbed in light? And so as I look at this text here, those gifts, those leaders are given to build the body up, to edify us to the point where we grow up more and more. And it goes on down there and it says, till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, till we grow up to be like the one we're looking at. <clears throat> I've seen in my own family just out of the blue reminders of God's goodness. There was an incident that took place where there was a consequence imposed on one of my children, and the other child stepped in and said, uh, No, pretty much offered to, to, to give them their benefit and to take their punishment. I mean, isn't that something amazing to behold? And yet we find here that's exactly what Jesus did. He stepped in and said, no, I'm not going to allow Satan to, to do that. And I'm not a satanic father, so don't worry about that part. But it just I'm not going to allow them to take the punishment that they rightly deserve. I'm going to take it for them. And that is showing a beautiful love that sometimes our world has a hard time mirroring. And so we see here that we will grow up and become more and more like Christ. I'm I'm looking at my children saying they're not becoming necessarily more and more like I used to be. They're becoming more and more like this Jesus that I love. And I praise God for it. And I hope that that happens to each one of us, that we become more and more like Him. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, verse 14, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the slate of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. There are people literally waiting to gather a following in every single church and every single conference and every single union and every single division. This is exactly what it's talking about. We should not be led astray if we're following the word of God. Is it really pointing us to Jesus? Is it really building up the body of Christ? Because if it is, the result is we will speak the truth in love and we'll grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ jesus so christ is the leader in us christ is the one who gives leadership gifts in the church to point us to him because his church is really the bride Uh, you think about the godhead for instance some of the elders and i've been talking about this and we've been talking about the godhead and and how yeah they're equal but there's different roles you find there are different roles even in the godhead one was going to be the son you know and then you find he himself was the one who was the creator of the world who formed us and so what is the church's role well the church's role is to point the world to their Savior and their husband, Jesus Christ. It's pretty clear in Paul's writings. And so he's not only the one who's in us and leading us individually, but he's also calling his leaders to point, his church to point everyone to him. That's our role. And he's the kind of person I think we can trust fully. I received a pamphlet, and I will not hand it to you, that said, Some of the most learned theologians disagree on what the Bible says about headship, and some insist that scripture does not address headship at all. And when I read that, I was totally floored because the Bible portrays a beautiful picture of God's family unit here on earth and his family unit above. It portrays Jesus as being the true lover of our souls. The one who would never betray his spouse. The one who says, I won't drink of the cup or the fruit of the vine until I see you again face to face. He is fasting every day for us, saying, I love her dearly. Yeah, I'm a man and I don't necessarily like the female analogy, but I have this idea of spouse and that's my heavenly spouse. Something just feels right about it. And to tell me as a pastor and to bypass me and send this to my secretary, and to bypass other pastors and send it to their bulletin secretaries and tell us that there's no teaching of that in Scripture is heresy. You can take that to whoever you want to. It's heresy. Christ is my Savior, my Lord, my leader, and He's the one leading this church. And if He's not, if He's not leading this church, who is? One other option, really. If we take Christ down as the head of this church, We put ourselves in the place of him. And really, we revise the Lucifer Chronicles and put ourselves in Lucifer's place. That's a bad slope to go down. So if you read that pamphlet, I apologize if I offended you, but I just, I really can't apologize because it's just right there in Scripture. And everything else in there may be some good points, but that's the one that bothered me the most. Is that they would take my Jesus off the headship of His church. The one who saved me out of prison. The one who brought me even to the point of knowing this church. How could you take Him away? Would you take Him away and silence Him and crucify Him again? And as you want more Scripture for that, you go to chapter 5, verse 22. It says in 21, we submit ourselves to one another in love. I'm a very trusting person until it's violated and then I just close up. And as it comes to our human relationships, Paul paints a picture of what it would truly look like if we were honoring God in our relationships. Our culture is not honoring God in their relationships. It says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husband's head of the wife is Christ's head of the church. He is the savior of of his body. My grandfather, I think, showed this the most, where he would literally go without food, or if he needed to, without clothing, certain parts of clothing, to provide for my family when we were down and out. He would go out and work the woods, and he would go out and work any odd jobs he could to support his family. That's considered old-fashioned now. But it's been sitting there since eternity. It's in the heart of God to have us help each other in the home, to have... There are some jobs, really, that I would not want my wife doing. I can't picture her being a Navy SEAL uh, with a 70-pound pack on her back swimming through the waters. But I can picture her being the strong, godly woman that she is training up missionary children in my home. And if she wants to work outside the home, that's her choice. But I'm going to do the best I can to provide for my family. I'm going to give my all, and if I had to literally just sacrifice down to the bloody knuckles and farm the land by hand, I would do it to provide for my family. Christ saw us, saw where we would be at in this 21st century, and says here, don't worry, I'm that kind of man. I'm that kind of leader. I'm that kind of person that you can trust who if it comes down to it, I will become bloody for you. I will die for you. That's the kind of person I can trust with my heart, with my church. How about you? And so we find here that he's our leader in us. He's the head of the church as well. He's our heavenly spouse. who unites us with the heavenly family. But in the book of Hebrews, it brings out that he's not just that, but he is also captain of our souls. It's a beautiful analogy here in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter two. It starts off in verse nine, but we see Jesus. That means we have got to look to him to see him, who was made a little lower than the angels. So he submitted himself to becoming human. For the suffering of death, imagine that. Not only was he willing to become one of us, to show us the perfect way of living the life, and how that connection with the Father, what happened was the things of this world just faded to the point where when Satan came at him in his weakest moment, he couldn't touch him. That's what I want in my life. I've been seeing that. I've been seeing how I've been spending this time with God and reflective reading of the Bible and and asking for God's presence. There are things that that have been generational that are just fading. It's an amazing thing to see. They don't bother me anymore. They don't taste, see, or anything good anymore when I look to Jesus. And it's saying here that this is what he did. He came, look to him. He's the one who didn't just become one of us and live that perfect life, but he was made lower so he could die for you. I mean, imagine the angel saying, don't, don't, you don't go, let us go instead. Let us die. I mean, can an angel pay the price of the whole human race? Did they make the whole human race? No, Jesus made the whole human race and he says, I will die innocent and that will in essence backfire on the devil and I can save many children. And so he gives his all for us. He's crowned with glory and honor that by the grace of God, he should taste death for every man. Verse 10, for it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory, many children to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So how did he do it? He becomes the captain of our individual ships, our hearts. And he says, I will lead you to glory. And all you got to do is look to me. Spend that thoughtful hour each day looking at the cross. Spend that thoughtful hour each day looking and asking God, speak to me through your word. And you'll find you will see Jesus all over the place and he will be the captain of not just your salvation but your daily walk with him. As I think of that I imagine uh, that whole analogy of a circle. Draw a circle around yourself. Imagine there you're standing there and some people say that's where revival begins but I believe that's where unity begins because I draw the circle around myself and then Christ and I are one. And then it's like there's, it's like I'm a, a part of a spoke, a line that goes out to Jesus. Now my individual heart is linked to Him, and now we're linking together corporately. And it's like Ellen White says, that big circle there. How we, the closer we come to Jesus, the closer we come to each other. And so Jesus begins steering. being the captain of my salvation, and then as he's captain of your salvation, in your heart, we all begin to be united together. And so we have him as our captain steering the ship individually as we seek him in our secret place, but then corporately as we come together. The real sermon begins when you get home. I'm just here to encourage you to, to seek it, to seek him. He then guides us to associate with each other, and we have this oneness with us. And I can tell you right now, I'm a softer person because of you. I have a gruffness to me sometimes. I'm almost like a list type person. And when things aren't following the plan, I can get gruff sometimes. I I know that. That's my weakness. But when I sit in a board meeting and things aren't quite going the way that the five-year plan was laid out, some of the goals for this year, I've been able to shrug it and say, okay, Lord, thank you for what we are doing as a church. Thank you that we had this plan for a Sabbath afternoon activity and and now it's just spontaneously started happening where the young people were getting together for hikes and different people were meeting for Bible studies and we're getting together and that was one of our goals. But it wasn't happening in the plan the way I had it laid out. I have been softened by you. That's what happens when we have that oneness with Christ and then we interact with each other. We need, in a way, each other as a body. And so I'm thankful for you. And so among us, he appoints leaders to help the group stay on that course, to encourage the people. But these leaders must have a vital connection with Christ. Otherwise, we'll get off course, we'll be misled, and sooner or later we get to the point where we wonder, where, how do we ever get here? It's kind of like when someone begins to get on the phone after something didn't go the right way they thought it should. And that whole spirit of disgruntledness spreads. You know how hard it is to shut that down? It's like we're inviting the presence of Satan into our midst. It's very easy to shut it down. I just pray, Lord, shut the lion's mouth, and the person either gets deathly ill, or they die, or they just move out of the area. That's, that's what I do. Uh, sorry to say that's what, how it happens, but I just pray to shut it down. And that one person can literally steer the ship to the place where, you know what, that's not controlling us, we are moving forward. And if that can happen as an individual church, then surely we must begin to pray down what will be coming upon our church in the future. So whenever someone shares that disgruntled statement or a fault of someone else in the church and they begin to redirect my attention away from my loving church family here to, to some other little thing, I begin to say, what does this have to do with Christ? How is that going to bring me closer to him? And I usually tell them, have you talked to that person? That's how I deflect it, humanly speaking. And spiritually, when it's out of my control, I say, Lord, help me. And if you need to, shut the lion's mouth, because it's devouring me. And so we put our focus on Jesus, the captain of our hearts and of our church. And this is nothing new, is it? I mean, look at Adam. Adam, at the beginning of time, when things were were really going bad for the church in his day, where they had just fallen after eating the fruit, we find what does God give him? A message of hope. Look forward, Adam. Somebody's going to come, crush the head of that serpent that just defeated you. You go on down to Noah's day, which we're studying with my kids. It's a beautiful story, beautiful lesson. And as I'm looking at that lesson there, I'm thinking, wow, he saved his family, but he proclaimed a message to the world that you don't have to go to oblivion. You don't have to be flooded and overtaken by those waters. There's someone who could steer you right through it. His name is the Lord God, or we know him as Jesus. In Moses' day, you find he gave Moses a specific blueprint for that worship of that time. Isn't that a beautiful service that we're still pondering today, the sanctuary service? We, we still feel like I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface on some of those things. And so we find a blueprint was given there. In Daniel's day, you find, I, there's my checklist, the, the whole pro, the timeline, right? The prophecies from the time of Daniel all the way down to our time. That is amazing direction by someone who can steer our individual souls, but he can steer the whole nation to look for the Messiah. In Jesus' day, you get John the Baptist who comes along and calls them to account for their sins and then points them to the Lamb of God. He says, that's the way you go over there. And they follow Jesus, and he utters the most beautiful words we've ever seen. People are still pondering their full meaning. People are still puzzled by his parables and his sacrifice. And then Jesus himself comes. And he, through his words and through his kind acts, he points us to the Father. Puzzles me how much time he spent in prayer. Lord, do I have that much time? Of course you do. you got 24 hours, Murray. Surely you could, right? It's amazing to see Jesus himself directing his followers, directing his church. And then there he is for 40 days in the book of Acts, chapter 1. There he is telling them the things that they needed to know before the the church would really face some good days and some bad days. And as he leaves and ascends up to heaven, they stay there and they spend another 10 days in prayer, asking God, Lord, we don't see you face to face now. Guide us, our unseen captain. And what happens? Pentecost, many other events, they face a huge persecution and they turn the world upside down because that... Jesus was the captain of their soul. In Revelation, you get on down to there. That's a beautiful, beautiful book that every chapter points to Jesus and says, here are some specific directions for you at the end of time. Would you follow them? Would you follow the Lamb wherever He goes? Those are His people at the end of time. And what is our role then? Like I've said a couple times already, our role is to point people to Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, now we are the body of Christ, members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight. Governments. Now, we don't like that one. It's like, oh, government. Administration. That's like a crusty person who sits in the office and doesn't have anything to do with anybody else. Actually, it's a little bit more than that. Diversity of tongues are all apostles, or all prophets, or all teachers, or all workers of miracles, have all the gifts of healing. Do all speak with tongues, do all interpret. But covet this. Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show you, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. In the next chapter, he says, is love. Those are wonderful gifts. Ye all can covet them. But what's the more excellent way? Love. What if I have one of those gifts and, and the church doesn't recognize it? I'm still going to love the church. Uh, for years, it's like I couldn't get some of the small churches to see that, you know, let's, let's plan. Let's, I'm an, I have administration as my highest gift. It's, that's just the way it is. Evangelism's right after that. And I just couldn't, my, my passion was there and the, some of the, church, the little churches just didn't want to do anything. And others did. But so what? Don't take it personally, Murray. Your gift will come in handy at some time when they're ready for it. And that's the case, isn't it? Love those people. Even if your gift is not being fully used or utilized, love the people around you. God will open up a door where you'll be able to use that gift to the full. Just keep loving. And so he does send leaders, does give direction even now as a captain. And one of the gifts listed there was administration or government. It literally means a steersman or a pilot. Now, we, we think of pilot being the guy in the airplane, but we're talking about steersman, somebody who's holding and steering the ship. Now, we know Jesus is really the captain, right? So whoever that is indiv- humanly with the gift is really just answering to the captain and just saying, okay, Lord, a little bit that way and a little bit this way. And steady on, just straightforward. You're like a first mate, really. You're just saying, Lord, whatever you say is what we're going to do. It's kind of hard to discern what he said sometimes unless you go to his source, the word of God, and through prayer. But as you seek him, You can steer the congregation you can steer each other in the right direction and so it's my prayer my goal has been to help god's people prayerfully decide where god is guiding them to set sail and to steer them down that course that he has led them to pursue what does it look like practically well we've taken some steps here they're not perfect but at the beginning of our summer last year we had a health assessment we had 10 days of prayer we began to to seek god every sabbath afternoon for a while there and saying lord guide us as a church and I don't know about you, but do you feel good about the direction we're going at this point? I mean, I, I, I knew where we were, and and this next February, we'll begin to reassess it. But I feel a presence of Jesus here. And I see the things that have been accomplished. I see the spiritual milestones we've accomplished. I see the mission statement that we have. I see that we're becoming acquainted with the community. I see that we've 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 done some wonderful things outside of this building, too, with small groups, and we've done some meetings, and we've We've done afternoon activities. We've done prayer events. I have a whole list listed here on my paper of everything you, you have done. And I stand back and I say, Lord, that's amazing, but what's next? Because you're steering this thing. And I see some white squalls coming at times from different directions. And I'm saying, Lord, part the waters and help us go through. Or He'll let us hit it straight on and meet it. But steer this this coming year we're going to continue to assess the needs of the community, this coming year we're going to continue evaluating our ministries to see how we're fulfilling this mission that we've outlined here yeah those meetings are listed there in your bulletin as taking place but my goal is people in the community will come to this building while we have it and see Jesus and then they'll leave this building taking that message wherever they go and we have many special events being planned we've got another mission trip that's being considered we've We've got a whole lot of things coming up spiritually. We have even talked about going down to Cottonwood and saying, Lord, what would you have us do down there to start up a group, a weekday group of some kind after we do a series pointing to Christ down there. There's a lot of things we're looking forward to as a church. But most importantly, my main goal is let's continue focusing on Christ. Let's continue staying on course with Him until He comes. years after that whole naval disaster in 1707, they developed instruments to determine longitude and latitude. Imagine that. And those instruments saved many lives throughout the world, and they were used for navigation as well as to prevent maritime disasters. As I think of those devices, I can't help but think about how God has given us so much to help us stay the course, to help us encourage each other, and to look forward to our Lord's return. So, no matter what method we choose to steer the ship God has given us, may we at least stay connected to Him. May we unitedly move forward with Him. And may His fast and that ship, that heavenly ship, the heavenly family, be over with soon so we can be with Him face to face. I look forward to seeing Him. May we be much encouraged, be ever mindful of our surroundings, but hopeful that our captain will steer us through whatever we face. So may Jesus, the captain of our souls, give us that hope, that faith, and that love every step of the way until we see Him face to face. It's in His name we pray. Amen.